Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi friend, Kristen Klaus here. I have a powerful new course that is launching October 25th. This course is for women who are looking for healing from all types of abuse. Fully Restored from Abuse is a 12-week online course filled with so much information and goodness where we will dig into the root of the hurt and pain from abuse in a Christ-centered way. As a licensed professional clinical counselor, trauma coach, and one who has been healed herself from abuse, your life will be transformed from this course. If you are saying to yourself, I'm ready to be healed, I know there are soul wounds in my life from past abuse, I know I wasn't just hurt physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. If you are saying, yes, it's time, Kristen. I want to be healed. I want my life to be fully restored. Then go ahead, friend, and click the link found in the show notes for this episode. Now back to our show. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Clausen. You're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Iris Bryant, who has a powerful story that's going to encourage you, minister to you, and give you hope. Today, you're going to hear Iris' story of how God not only restored her from a spirit of rejection and abandonment, but also of feelings of not being good enough. Welcome, Iris, to the Fully Restored Podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I'm so glad to be here. It is an honor to have you here with us. So, Iris, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do, and your family? Sure. I am a wife, a mother, a, a grandmother. And, and you know, I just lit up when I said grandmother. I have an 18-month-old grandchild. I am a podcaster and a host of a retreat for women. They're both called Hidden Jewels. I've spent the last 23 years as an educator in the public schools of North Carolina. And I should say I served, I have served as an educator for the past 23 years. I've served as a middle school teacher, a high school English teacher, and currently serve as a district instructional coach. And I've been in this role for about eight years. So I have an opportunity to work with teachers and helping provide resources and support as they do the work with the students. And I am an adoption advocate. So I have had an opportunity to work with birth mothers as well as adult children, adult adoptees in the reunion process, and even those who have questions about how to go about that. So I have quite a few things on my plate. I also serve as a worship leader at the church I attend. So uh, lots of different hats, but I think in every area that I've named, I am serving in some capacity. Wow. You are a highly gifted and talented woman for sure. And the name of your podcast in your retreat was at Hidden Jewels? That's correct. Oh, I love that name. That is wonderful. So actually, before we jump into your story, I just want to share a couple of fun facts that you shared with me. You spent the first 10 years teaching English at your alma mater. 
And you actually taught in the same classroom where you had been a high school senior. That's correct. And was that a joy to be teaching there? That was a joy. And it was interesting because my high school English teacher, I always told her that I was going to return and teach in that classroom. And I didn't know that she would retire. She retired the year before I became a teacher. And there was a teacher who taught one year in that room. And then it became my classroom, room 911 or 911. So that was my high school English classroom. And my first year I was teaching high school English, uh, senior, senior English. I was a senior in that classroom and I taught seniors during my first year. So that was quite full circle for me. That is, that's awesome. In fact, I think of my daughter, as you say that, because it was her English teacher who inspired her so much to do the work that she does. And she, my daughter is a English major. She has her master's now and she is an adjunct professor. But yeah, so that English teachers, they have so much influence in our life, don't they? They do. Yeah. We do. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so Iris, could you take us back to your childhood and share with us your story? Sure. I grew up in a very loving home. My parents were, and they still are awesome. I was the oldest. I had a younger brother and sister, and I always knew that I was loved. There was never a moment that I felt that they didn't care deeply for me and my siblings, but I always felt different. And that's something, you know, even now I think back to how we're wired because even though my parents didn't make me feel different, there were just moments that I felt like I didn't fit in. And in the third grade, I I don't remember this happening prior to my third grade year, but in third grade and then several years after that, I would hear whispers on the school bus or playground or even in church that I was adopted or during the 80s that the Cabbage Patch Kid craze was, it was a big thing. So I would hear people say I was a Cabbage Patch Kid and I knew that the Cabbage Patch Kid was adopted. So I knew that was an an indirect jab. But my parents never told me that those things that I was hearing was true. My mother's go-to phrase, anytime that I talked to her about what I heard on the playground or the bus or, like I said, at church, she would always say, we were, we're all adopted into God's family. And for whatever reason, when she said it, it would comfort me for that moment because I, I was very young. So I would hear, we're all adopted into God's family. And I thought, oh, okay, so everybody's hearing that they're adopted. That's how, (laughs) I guess that's how I processed it. And it was probably fifth grade that I found the adoption papers. So I found out that I was adopted. Like it was no denying it. I found out through the family records. So I was being a nosy little child and I stumbled across an envelope with my name on it. I opened it and there it was. So that was the way I found out. And when I talked to my parents, that night about it, I felt that I hurt them and they didn't indicate that. But I I internalized that if I talked about being born to someone else or if I asked them about where did I come from, because I had all of those questions, I felt that I was being ungrateful for the life that they had given me. And I knew that night when I talked to them that they had absolutely no regrets about me being their child and they only wanted me to feel love. So I spent the next probably 20 years not discussing it, 
living with a lot of shame and feeling rejection and abandonment because I wondered, you know, why wasn't I good enough? What did I do? Did I cry too much? What caused this woman not to want me? So that rejection started or me being able to understand that feeling of not being good enough or feeling not wanted. It started when I learned that somebody else had given birth to me and made a decision for whatever reason not to keep me. What a powerful story. I mean, talking about going back to third grade and hearing the whispering and hearing the things, the talk and the conversation out in the playground, which can be hurtful at times. And obviously, I mean, they were, it was very hurtful in what they were saying. And then in fifth grade, I I love your mom saying, you know, that we're all part of God's family. We're all adopted in and that that brought you comfort. But I'm also thinking about that when you did talk to him from that point on, that came into your core belief about yourself Mm -hmm. that I can't ask the questions that are deep inside of me because if I do, I'm being ungrateful. Mm -hmm. I can't talk about the stuff that I really want to talk about because then that might hurt them. And I wonder how much that became beyond the adoption. Like that became a part of your core belief that I can't really talk about what I want to talk about. I don't want to appear to be ungrateful. I don't want to hurt other people. And so really putting on masks and not being open and transparent and really talking about things and other aspects of your life because that became part of your belief system. Did you find that that happened for you? Oh my, yes. It happened all the time. When you were asking the question, I was thinking about how I used to, I should have just had a shirt that said, I'm okay. And just worn it every day because I felt like I was supposed to be okay with whatever. Like if I felt that I was treated poorly or if something happened that should, you know, I should have been able to say, I I didn't feel like that was fair. I don't, I don't feel like that should happen to me. Or just being able to have a, I guess, a transparent conversation and having an authentic conversation and not feeling judged for not being okay. I, I didn't know how to do that. So I navigated through a lot of situations by just saying I'm okay. And I was so far away from that place being okay. (laughs) But that was my go-to phrase. Yeah. And in your testimony from rejected to redeemed, you share the process that took place, you know, that as you discovered the truth. So can you elaborate that for us? Sure. I went through from the time I found out until I was 30, I think it was 35 years old when I had the opportunity to unite with my family of origin. And I was really broken and going through meeting my birth mother and then my brothers who were older, my grandmother and aunts and uncles. And while I was meeting them, I was still feeling the love from my my adoptive family, who I, you know, I refer to my parents as my parents. The ones that raised me are my parents. And I understood 30 years later what my mom meant when she said we're all adopted into God's family because their main goal was to make me feel like I belonged. You know, I've talked to other adoptees who knew from, you know, from the time they could understand their parents were having these conversations with them about being adopted. And there's one lady who says her, her mother told her you were 
selected and not expected. So she had this this framework growing up to kind of navigate all of those emotions and have some of her questions answered. But through the process of reuniting with my birth family, I understood how much God loves us because I could see that the family that raised me never stopped caring for me. I was a child they prayed for. They didn't know where I was. (laughs) They didn't know how I was going to get to them, but they prayed and they believed that God was going to bring this child to them. And as I was an answer to their prayers, they were an answer to to mine because they were who I needed. They were the, the support and the foundation. They provided the support and foundation that I needed to be who I am today. So there were a lot of moments of uncertainty and and times that I felt rejected and abandoned. But God was able to show me that his hand was on me from the time I was born until he allowed, you know, all of these intricate details to be worked out so that I could meet my birth family. And he, he had never left me and he knew what I needed. And he has surrounded me with the family that loved me and cared about me. And they loved me no matter what. And I I saw that was how God treated us, that while we were sinners, we didn't know him. We didn't even desire to have a relationship with him. He still loved us and he caused us to come back to him. And when we accept him into our hearts, we're grafted in and we become a part of his family. That is so beautiful and eloquently expressed of what you just said. And I, as you're talking, I was thinking before that from the question, your answer before I was think, I had written down that often we don't have a voice mm-hmm. when shame and rejection, abandonment, all that stuff that is associated that was triggered for you going back to fifth grade, that we feel that we don't have a voice, that authentic voice, but that redemptive thread through your story of how God has ministered to you, has been there for you even before you knew him and how he set a plan and orchestrated for you to be with your birth family. And it's interesting because often I'm actually doing interviews with other people that are on the other side. They're the ones that are struggling with infertility or adoption, foster care to adopt. But your story is the other side. And have you always freely shared your adoption story and your adoption journey? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I I have not. And when you talk about those on the other side, I think that in our society, those are the voices that we hear most. We hear from those who desire to have that, you know, to have that family who, who plan to adopt or who have adopted and now their their family is larger than what doctors said would be able they would be able to have and then you you may have some birth mothers who may not share freely but you hear those voices more than you hear the voices of the adoptees and it was actually in October of 2020 that I and I'm I'm using this word because this is the the best way to describe it but I felt like I stumbled into who I was. I was actually on Twitter one night. I was like, I'm going to do this hashtag for adoption or adoptees. And let's see what comes up. And I just saw all of these people who had been adopted and were hurting. I didn't find stories of people who were adopted and said, oh, I'm living a wonderful life. And a lot of them 
many of them were not connected to Jesus Christ. When I closed down that Twitter chat, I was so heavy. And I thought about how the enemy had, I guess, shut my mouth at 12 and wouldn't allow me to, to verbalize how I was hurting. And then even going through the adoption, uh, the reunion process, there were things that I felt like I had to go along with because I was afraid. Once I met my birth mother, I was afraid if I didn't say I was okay, I would be rejected again. So that night, I thought about all those times that I was quiet. And what if God was going to allow me to use my story to help somebody who was adopted and in, in darkness, who didn't see the light, who couldn't find hope in their journey? And again, November, November of 2020, I started being very intentional about telling people who were close to me that I'm getting ready to start sharing my story. And I knew that if I told like my husband or I told uh, some ladies in my writing group, then they would, would hold me accountable. I went through the reunion process 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and I just started talking freely about it. And in some areas, being an, an adoption advocate, but that just happened because I just I came to the conclusion that night on the couch on Twitter that I could not allow myself to remain quiet when my testimony may help someone else. Wow. 13 years ago, that reunion process. And then going back to you were 12 years old when you were in fifth grade. Is that what you said? 11, 12. So looking at that, your, your life history, looking at your lifeline of different markers in your life. And then November, 2020, there was a shift. There was a freedom that came to you. There was. What do you think helped you find your voice and find the boldness and the courage? I think of Joshua, how God told him, be bold and courageous to go into that territory, to go into the promised land. And in that chapter in, in um, Joshua 1, God says it to him a couple of times. It's not just once, be bold and courageous. It's a few times. And I feel like for you that that was really what you're doing is being bold and courageous. What do you think gave you that? ability to do that? Well, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are operating fully in their calling. Oh. I have a very close friend who has a ministry that is tailored for wives. And I have another woman, who, a friend who's a coach, and they are passionate about serving that group of people. And that night on the couch, and, and the interesting thing about God's timing is that was in October. And then October 30th is Adoption Remembrance Day. I'd never heard of this before. I'd never heard of it before. But that day is a day set aside to remember adoptees who have lost their lives as a result of suicide because of the adopt, you know, the adoption process, having um, many of them were adopted into families where they didn't feel love. And Kristen, that grieved me. Coming into the knowledge of that grieved yeah. me. And I yeah. thought about, as I said earlier, what if the enemy's purpose in me being silent all those years was because he didn't want me to share? Because if I share and be and really being transparent and coming to a point where I say this isn't anyone else's story but mine. Yeah. But if I if I can share my story and help one person, then I'm willing to do it. So just seeing the people who didn't find hope, who didn't grow up in a family of love and didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, hearing those stories have really 
inspired me to be courageous, as you said. And I, I didn't even think it was being courageous. I just felt like I was owning my story and not allowing anybody else to tell it, not allowing anyone else to, to tell me how to feel in my story, but just to be a vessel and a light for others. And I believe that he is doing that. Absolutely. And there's two things I think of as you were just sharing that. One is that God will use, when we give him our broken pieces, he will use those broken pieces as a diving board, so to speak, to propel us into who and what he created us for. Now, he didn't create us to be abused or to go through struggles that we go through, but he's going to turn it around for his good. And And that's what he's done with your story. And with that, with your story of a group of people, um, years ago, the Lord had me doing some research and about nations and about cultures and different people, but it was from a different mindset than how we look at. So we look at a nation like the United States or, you know, Canada or different things like that, or a culture. We look at um, the different cultures in the, in this world. But God was showing me and talking to me about, look at the people in brokenness and that that's a nation, that that, that's a culture, a group of people that have a similar experience and belief system. And that was research he was putting on my heart about reaching those that have been abused, those who have experienced trauma. And you're the first person that I have talked to that I thought, oh, here's another nation. Here's another culture of people those that have experienced adoption, because you're right, we hear the stories, the voices that we hear are the ones that are looking to adopt. But you are talking about a group of people, and I didn't know about this Adoption Remembrance Day as well for those that have been lost to suicide that have been adopted. But that is a nation, that is a culture, a group of people who have common belief struggles. Their stories are all different but there is a common thread inside there for them. And God has called you to minister. And what a light that you are and will continue to be. And friends, you need to be praying for Iris. And maybe her story is like encouraging you to say, hey, I need to be a voice for those that have been adopted because I want to help them as well, that God has grafted me in, and I know who I am and who my identity is, but I didn't realize there are so many that are struggling, just like Iris said, you know, to give the hand to those that are struggling and help them pull them up out of that pit of depression, out of that pit of struggle that they're having. And I I just am so inspired by you, Iris, of your story and what you are doing with your story. So you shared with us your adoption journey. Could you tell us about your fully restored story, like where you're at today? How has this journey impact your role as you're advocating now? We've talked a little bit about this aha moments that you've had recently, but tell us more. Oh, Kristen, I'm, I'm almost floored by what you just shared about nations. That, that's powerful. One of the most impactful moments that has taken place in the last six or eight months was an opportunity, and it's it's ongoing, an opportunity to, to talk with a, br- a birth mother 
who is in reunion with her birth daughter that she gave up for adoption over 30 years ago. And one night she called me, it was very late at night, and she called me and was talking to me, asking me questions about my reunion experience. But I didn't realize that the next day she was going to meet her daughter for the first time since she gave her up for adoption. And in that moment of talking to her, I was able to hear her heart concerning this daughter that she had been praying for for over 30 years. So where I am now is being able to listen to others as they go through the process and know that everybody's story is different. We There are so many common threads, but I'm glad that God didn't allow me to remain quiet because he has just put people in my path that I can share what I experienced to help them as they go through their reunion. And I believe that's the, you know, when you mentioned earlier about everything working out, like, you know, according to his timing, and I've stood on Romans 8 and 28 the entire time. And I'm seeing the manifestation of that. Like those things that I experienced in 2012 and 2008, when I was learning people or meeting people, I didn't know God could bring glory from that. And he is right now. So it's it's about trusting his timing. I am a recovering people pleaser. And that was part of that, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, wanting to make everybody happy. But I can truly say that through every conflict and struggle, every pain point, he has been there consistently. And I, and I feel like that's where I am, just in a point where I am perpetually trusting him for that next moment. I love that. And, and talking about the people pleaser, because really, you know, what that is that I often work with people about our faulty core beliefs. And what happens is rejection is like a faulty core belief. And there are rules and things that we do because of our faulty core beliefs. So I can't share what I really want to share because you'll reject me. I can't say what I really think because you won't like me. If I don't do what you want me to do, then you're going to reject me. And I am so glad that you have found freedom from that, that God has redeemed that in your life and restored that. And that you are, as you say, you know, recovering people pleaser, healed and restored people pleaser. That's what I'm claiming for you because recognizing, oh, that's a trigger of rejection. It's really not about people pleasing. It's just, it's a trigger of rejection. And I know who I am and who I belong to. So with your life experience, where God has brought you today, could you just share with our listeners two or three things as they're beginning their journey of healing? Sure. The first thing I would say is just simply trust God. And, you know, that's easy to say because it sounds good, trust him, but it also means that we trust his timing. You know, there were moments that I felt like 10 years before I went through the reunion process that I was ready. Like at 18, I was ready to know some answers. But if God had allowed me to know at 18 what he held on, you know, he He prevented me from learning until I was 35. I don't know if I could have handled it at 18. So I want to just stress, it's so important to trust God, meaning his way, the, the, the manner in which he works things out and the time in which he does it. Because if he made you a promise, you can believe that it will happen. So trust him and then cultivate a lifestyle of prayer and worship. You cannot navigate through 
the reunion process, or even if you're not in reunion, just understanding being adopted and all of these emotions that feel like been have been packed up and given to you <laughs> uh, at birth, you can't navigate all of that without prayer. So those things are so important. Make sure you, you trust God, pray in all things and have a lifestyle of worship. Whatever worship looks like to you, if it's journaling, journaling your heart to him, if it's just being still and you know, praying and listening to what he has to say to you, setting the atmosphere in your home, in your car, on your job, that is important for navigating, you know, through this journey. And it was, it was so important. All of those things were important for me. Well, I love that. And when you were talking about cultivating that lifestyle of prayer and worship, I was thinking about those are the things that help us to be grounded in Christ. Those are the things that, you know, Ephesians 3 talks about that our roots grow deep and grounding in Christ. And as we cultivate and that lifestyle of prayer and worship, we are grounded. And when the winds come, we're able to deal with those hurricane winds at times and stay rooted. So I so appreciate your words of wisdom there, as well as trusting God's timing. Oh, that is a big one. <laughs> and you know, you're right. The 18 year, year old you probably would not have been able to emotionally have dealt with everything. So God knew the right timing. And that's hard because we want things right away and we have to trust God's timing. Absolutely. How can people connect with you online and purchase your book and resources? You can connect with me at irispbryant.com. Uh, if you go to that website and subscribe, you will receive a link to a free download of a message. It's actually an audio message of how to let faith override your fear. I'm on all the social media outlets at Iris P. Bryant, and you can purchase the book on the website as well. And that book is an anthology. So there are four other ladies who share their testimonies along with mine. And that's how I got over so in the last few moments, could you pray for our listeners today? Absolutely. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for those listeners who have tuned in today, who may be dealing with feelings of rejection, abandonment. They may not feel that they're good enough, and they may even have gone through life trying to please everyone but you. So now, Lord, we just ask that you would speak peace into their lives, help them to know in a very real and tangible way that you love them and you love them with an everlasting love. Help them to set their hearts and their affections and their mind on you and allow them to know that they can trust you and that you will lead and guide them into all truth. God, I pray your protection upon them. I pray that you will guard their minds, that they will have thoughts that are pure and, and lovely and of good report. I come up against every evil thought that may have tried to penetrate their, their thinking or may have tried to make them feel unworthy. But God, you love them. You've always loved them and helped them to know that today like never before. We pray your peace upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, thank you, Iris, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, podcast.fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. We would appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. I would love to stay connected with you so you can find me on Instagram and my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of Fully Restored Podcast ministered to you, encouraged you, and you're walking away with some understanding of, yes, we need to to trust God and trust His timing. We need to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer and worship. We need to know that God loves us and that is here for us. And maybe you, just like Iris and myself, are called to a nation, to a culture of people who are broken and who need Jesus. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.